0: Welcome to the inaugural podcast of Coach and Kernan, episode one, currently Tuesday, May 17, 2022. For our audience, we'll be streaming every Tuesday and we'll be seen or listened to on all your popular sites from Apple to SoundCloud to iHeart uh, and a number of others. We want to thank our sponsor first, One on One. Uh, you can follow One on One on Twitter at One on One, Your Shot on One, or on Instagram, One on One, Your Shot on Your Terms. It's a platform for young athletes and families to become the first educator in the recruiting process. And to date, one-on-one has placed 535 athletes into full scholarships with both basketball and baseball in the last 23 months. So one-on-one, make sure you follow them on Twitter and Instagram. You can interact with us currently on our new Twitter site. It's Coaching Kernan. You can search it right on Twitter or you can do the tag at David D'Agostin, D-A-G-O-S-T-I-N, and the number 16 or search Coaching Kernan. We'll have our Instagram site up and a number of other social media uh, sites up that we'll announce next Tuesday, and we'll update you on both of those on Instagram and Twitter as the week goes on. I'm your host, Dave D'Agostino, former collegiate head coach, professional player, second baseman, current MLB analyst and NBA analyst, and I'm joined by my co-host. I'm honored to be a part of this with him, Hall of Fame writer, former writer for the New York Post, and I'm sure I'm shorting you on some years, Kevin, you can adjust it, 45 plus years. Currently found on Ball9.com. Articles come out twice a week. We want to make sure that we're following that as well. Author of four books, former collegiate baseball player himself. So you're going to get a unique perspective from Kevin, both as a writer, observer, a confidant, and a player. Possibly the greatest storyteller I've ever been around. And I affectionately refer to his writing style as simplicity on the other side of complexity. I think you'll find that with our other guests as well. You can again find him on Ball9.com. His Twitter handle is A-M-B-S underscore Kernan, K-E-R, NAM, and just for the audience, that that stands for America's most beloved sports writer. Um, And Instagram handle, I'll have Kevin introduce that as well. But but Kevin, good morning. Um, I'll introduce our format and our first two guests in a minute. But I think it's important for our audience to understand just what we're striving for here. When I'm asked, I've told people this is going to be a baseball experience about baseball experiences. But as our resident mad hatter, would you do us a favor and begin at the beginning, go to you, come to the end, and then stop. Share a little bit of your thoughts of this process
1: with our audience. Yeah, David, it's great to be with you. And uh, this is something I wanted to do a long time because one of the the gifts that God gave me was the ability to talk to people. Uh, Being Irish helps, I think. Uh, But I have connections, 47 years, like you said, 47 years worth of connections. Uh, Just a small little story. I was riding up to New Jersey the other day and I thought, hey, it'd be nice to do a story. I'm remembering my little league days so i stopped at my little league took some pictures put a call into steve keener the president of little league he got right back to me with some great information and i told uh, a bunch of stories in my ball nine article about little league and 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 uh, with ball nine for example chris vitale uh and rocco constantino two of the big wigs in ball nine um they actually played little league baseball together, and now they've been friends for 36 years. Moving forward, pitcher catcher, so it's that's what we deal with. I'm dealing with relationships. I'm gonna, and we're gonna talk about relationships. I have four grandchildren. Went to like 15 games over the last three days. Um, this is going to be a unique opportunity for young players, but uh, at all levels, going through high school, uh, youth league, little league, high school, and college, because. I have certain expertise, but we're bringing in, and, and you'll introduce them shortly. But we're bringing in experts that really know ten times, thousand times more than what I know, and, uh, and and we're gonna. It's gonna be stuff where you're gonna learn about the game, you're gonna learn about attitude, and you're gonna learn uh, really. Uh, you know, wisdom versus experience and, and what, what wisdom to young ballplayers means. We're going to teach wisdom. We're just not going to, you know, and and we're going to be rough on you. If you if you can't handle it, then you'll find another podcast. But, uh, you know, it's the old uh, attitude is altitude type thing. And uh, you can't have that. And that's the number one thing I see right now in sports. But one last point on the Little League story, and I think this will get us going in the right direction. So, my brother, my older brother George, he passed a few years ago, but he was a fantastic baseball player. I mean, really good. I mean, he could hit the heck out of the ball. When we played wiffle ball, he would hit the wiffle ball from our street and 7th Street over the houses into 8th Street. So, that gives you an idea of the power he had. So, he's playing Little League one day. My dad was a cop in Kenilworth, New Jersey, Uh, a sergeant. Sergeants wear these beautiful white uh, shirts you know, button down collar. He used to stop the police car. He he eventually rose to captain, but he was, a, he was a sergeant at this time. So he, he, this was like early sixties, late fifties, different world. So he would get out of the police car, watch my brother play along the uh, first baseline. And, um, and he was loud, you know, and he would say, so my brother's up one time, George is up, hits a foul ball. Uh, and my dad yells, yells out, straighten it out, you know, gets right on his butt, you know, let's go. Next pitch, true story. Mine drive, hits my father in the mouth, knocks out many of his teeth. <laughs> so, so so my father learned a valuable lesson at that point. You know, watch the games, you know, learn and teach, but let's let let let's let's pay attention. You know, this is before netting Uh, And ironically, when I went back to look at the Little League, they now have a fence about 10 feet high in that area. So uh, nobody else is getting hit in the face. But that's just a little intro to what, you know, we will go in many different directions here. We're going to have fun, but we're going to have a ton of information. And we might even try to tell you why, you know, why people are striking out so much. Just in the Braves game last night, 16 Ks, you know, so it's, it's, and I saw there was a minor league game. In Tampa this week, I think where the Yankees uh, minor league team stuck out 24 times. So we're going to do a lot of great stuff here, and uh, that's enough for me right now. Let's go on to our guest. That was phenomenal.
0: That's what I was getting to with the storytelling. It's, it, it knows no boundaries, and we're looking forward to many more of those. We have two guests that I want to introduce that are going to be regulars with us uh, every podcast, and they are uh, they're going to be invaluable to the show. They both offer the same expertise in terms of that simplicity on the other side of complexity where they understand their field so well that they're going to be able to relate to the pro player, the pro coach, the parent, the youth player, the casual fan. And that's what makes them so valuable to the show. Our first guest I want to introduce, we're going to refer to him as Bull uh, for the purpose of the show. 45-year-plus veteran of professional baseball, uh, as a player, as a coach, as a scout. I've had many conversations with him off the air thanks to Kevin. And every time I I talk with him, and I encourage our audience to do this, I have a legal pad down, a pencil, and I just write. And uh, I get smarter every conversation, and I know our audience can get smarter um, with with his presence on our show. So Bull, I just want to officially welcome you to the show and and say hello before we introduce our second guest and get this thing rolling. Uh,
2: Thank you, Dave. Looking forward to this and looking forward to uh, all you guys and uh, sharing this information.
0: Yeah, it's going to be phenomenal. We're fortunate to have you. Our second guest, uh, Sal Marinello. Sal's a performance coach. Uh have had a lot of great conversations with him, again, thanks to Kevin offline. And, uh, again, same type of guest. I never stop writing when he's talking, and I'm going to be doing the same during the podcast here while he goes because I'll get more information. But Sal has experience across all sports. Um, and, of course, we're going to talk a lot about baseball, but his expertise is is uh, across all mediums. He deals with youth. All the way up to, to, to major division one athletes. And the stuff that he says to me, and I'll share a quote that he said to me yesterday on the phone once a joint compromised athlete, always a
3: compromised athlete. And uh, he's going to share more of those with us. But Sal, I welcome you to the show also. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to uh, being part of this group. It's it's quite impressive. And uh, I, I have to make sure I bring my A game. So I'm ready for you. Oh, well, that's what we know about all our guys here. Everybody brings their A game. And normally in our show, we're going to have a guest.
0: An additional guest sandwiched in between um and you know kevin provided us i give him all the credit with the who's who of guest list throughout uh professional baseball not just players and coaches but people around the sport from museums to writers to historians you name it we've got it on our list and we're going to feed you a little bit at a time but today i thought it'd be important for us to get to know the four people that are going to be with you every week um every tuesday when we stream so kevin why don't you get us kicked off here with, with a question for Paul? um I know we've been talking a little bit as to how we wanted to go, and you've got a number of them lined up here. Let's start off with Bull here. Why don't you get him off with a question?
1: Yeah, sure. And, and uh, I want to all pitch. We're going to start with pitching because it's the essence of the game. So if you're a pitcher, uh, pay close attention here. And uh, Bull was a pitcher, so he, he knows the art of pitching so well. And and it is an art, and I think it's been lost so I just want to start with one small little thing but uh, we had a conversation recently where he was telling me about the whole idea of the movable plate movable home plate now we all know it's 17 inches wide we know it's stuck in the ground but if you're a good pitcher you can move that plate in the batter's mind and eyes and that that will help you expand the plate make it bigger work for you because that's the one thing I think all of us have seen, especially now in baseball, it's become a robot sport where there's sequencing, there's this, there's that. But there's very little done where you actually see uh, the great pitchers do it. Max Scherzer, you know, I'll start with him. They, they make sure that they know, they, they read the swings, they react to the swings and then they use their arsenal. So I, I want to ask Bull a little bit, give us, a, a, and take as long as you want, but explain the uh, the whole idea of a movable plate.
2: Well, the, the, the concept is, is that the plate is 17 inches, um, but the hitter uh, reacts to what you're doing as a pitcher. And I think something that's lost in the game now is that we are not reacting to what the hitter does. And the movable plate actually works a couple different ways, where if you have a a right-handed hitter up and you throw a slider to the outer part of the plate and then another slider to the outer part of the plate down, his body and eyes start to move out there. So that plate has now moved... uh, you know, his vision is now 17 inches away from covering the whole plate, and it's just looking out in that, that portion of the plate. So the, the next pitch, you might want to even go off the plate if you're 0-2. Now you've moved them even further. You have opened up a hole on the inside part of the plate, possibly up because you've been down, And there's, you know, there's different ways to do that. The same thing is going in and in and push the hitter back. Now you don't have to throw a perfect pitch away. Um, You know, so many pitchers are trying to execute absolute perfect pitches from first pitch, and they end up three and one on every hitter.
1: Exactly. Uh,
2: You know, if you make a quality pitch down in the strike zone, whether it be in or away, you've now set that hitter up for the next pitch and you should have a plan in place. Uh, You know, that's the thing, you know, and and the plan is organic. It (laughs) doesn't, it's not written up on a script card at three o'clock in the afternoon. It should be in the moment as to what that hitter is now doing and your catcher should be aware of it. And so should you as a pitcher. Well, I have a question
0: for you regarding, I know you seem to talk about balance and perspective, but, you mentioned something yesterday that I actually pointed out to my son in his game last night. He's a catcher. When you're watching a hitter on the on-deck circle and you're, you're starting to formulate that plan in terms of throwing balance and perspective, what does the hitter's on-deck swing tell you as a pitcher? What are you watching for? What what is that
2: kind of relate you know, to? You? Uh, you know, Dave, that's a great question. That was one of the first things we were taught, to sit and watch batting practice every day. You, you, there's so much information, and it's not – scientific it's right there in front of you if the hitter at the uh, if you're watching the hitter swinging on deck and he takes all of his swings across the middle of the plate up high with his hands up high you know he likes the ball up in the strike zone if he's swinging down you know that he probably likes the ball down in the strike zone um, if you watch batting practice every day you see a guy pull every ball <laughs> He's trying to hit everything over the fence. He's probably, he's probably has a hole on the outer part of the plate, up and down, that he's not going to get to because his sole approach is pull. Uh, you know, I mean, there, there, there's so much instantaneous data just by watching the game. Um, I had an older coach one time that said, if you don't know a hitter, throw the ball at his hands. You learn three things. If he moves back, he has, he may have a fear of the ball. If he turns on it, he has a quick bat, and if he's late, he has a slow bat.
1: That's great stuff right there. And uh, to your point, I was watching the highlights of games last night, and um, and Yashvimsky hits a home run in the ninth inning, but the, the pitcher was right in his swing path—a slider down and in where he was swinging. I think that 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 marks your points. Like you got to watch the hitter and really work away from what he likes. And every once in a while, if you bust a man or do something different, uh, you, you, it's, it's, it's a chess. It really is a chess game. It could even be a checkers game. We're not, we're not talking for D Yeah. We're yeah I checker.
2: mean, you, you know, you don't have to have a master's degree from, from school, but you have to pay attention. And there are four quadrants of the, of the strike zone. And, you know, uh, the greatest hitters in the game still make out seven out of 10 times. I watch pitchers that pitch so fearful of contact and that they're going to get hit. And that's why that, to me, that's when you end up getting hit. Um, You know, when you attack a hitter, you put him on his heels. Great stuff.
0: Yeah. Let's, let's, uh, let's go to Sal right now. Sal, I know Kevin, you had a a question for Sal we talked about, and it pertains to um, some of the oblique, Injuries we've seen and the rarity of it. Um, it. It's Sal, but let's get him in the mix right now and hear a little bit about the, the foundation of what he sees in professional sports. and we'll combine both Bull and him.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna work from the ground up with Sal because again we're maybe that in the future down the road will be will be a visual, but right now we're audio. But uh, when we, when we do get visual, one of the highlights will be Sal's calves. Sal's got the best calves I've ever seen in a human being. And uh, so I'm working my way up. Here's my question, Sal. It's pretty basic. And I'm not picking on anybody, but I see it in the major leagues. I see it in youth ball. I'm watching guys run to first base and they for lack of a better terminology, I call it jiggly-jaggly. They're all over the place. And and, and they give up on the, the run, you know, before they get to the base. What What is the easiest and best way for... A young athlete to improve his running ability?
3: Well, uh, it, everything comes from the sprint. All forms of agility um, come from the sprint form. And there's several things you need to be able to do when you sprint, which is at full speed. I'm not talking about some mid range jog. I'm not talking about, you know, the guy going from first to second on an easy hit where. It's a jog speed. I'm talking about as fast as you can, you know, ultimately over, you know, 50, 60 yards. But to start a 40 yard full out sprint, everything would be revealed uh, about a, a person's inability to move properly from that six second 40 yard sprint. So most kids, and Kevin, we've had this discussion. Um, don't engage in track anymore. When we were kids growing up, even if you were a baseball player, you had during your phys ed period, we had a track module. Now, where I grew up in Milburn, New Jersey, we had one of the best track coaches of all time, a guy by the name of Paul Beck. So the moment we stepped foot in the junior high school, we spent time working on track and field, working on sprinting. So For these young kids, they need to know how to spread. Kevin, we we spoke about that Chicago White Sox player earlier this year who blew out his hamstring on a simple run to first base. When you watch that video of that guy, he's running in a straight line, and yet you would think he was doing some tumultuous uh, movement drill. His arms are flailing. His legs are all over the place. He's got poor posture. And just this general sense of out of control, that leads to all those kind of injuries we're seeing. And that's just a straight-ahead sprint. So imagine, you know, why you can't imagine why we're having all these injuries uh, across the spectrum of baseball.
1: It's funny you say that, Sal, because um, I was uh, just—I think it was the White Sox, and I may have this wrong—but one major league player I just read—he he uh, he just came back from a left calf strain, a quad strain. I'm sorry, left quad strain. He was out three weeks. And first day back, he 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 uh, his uh, right quad, so it went. You know, in, in a matter of weeks, and and the, and to back up your point about track, people don't know. And this, you know, this is where bull comes in. They 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 do their homework, but you know, Brandon Nimmo, uh, he was a track star in the off season. He was he played football, he played track. I mean, he he ran track. And, uh, and, and those things really transferred over. So that, I think that's a great piece of advice to, to just get the track mechanics down so you keep yourself
3: healthy so you're on the baseball field longer. And, and what, what goes in, in hand in hand with that is the um, ease of teaching this. It's not this complex structure you have to engage in that would take time away from, you know, sport training. You the the drills I use across the board, especially with my lacrosse players, because there is so much sprinting in that, you you could do things in practice and and, you know the term they use, I hate jargon, but they use the term micro-dosing. If you did five or six minutes of a targeted drill that was part of your prep for either a practice or a pregame or postgame, over time, if you do that five, six days a week, that's a half hour a week of, of good work. And in Proper drill construction, you can improve a group 's running in short period of time relatively short period of time following that kind of a plan do you have do you have any kind of uh, do you upload videos anywhere or anywhere can people see this kind of stuff uh, I do not and you know what kevin it's it 's kind of a weird situation. I was talking about this with a couple of my clients I have uh, several professional lacrosse players who are younger guys, obviously. They've grown up in an era where everything is put online. Everything is videoed Um, where I started my career in a very exclusive uh, clinic in Manhattan. We were taught from day one. It's nobody's business who is in the gym and who's working with us. So I have this deeply ingrained kind of response to that. You know, I'm very sensitive to what my, my people do. I mean, I, it in clinics and obviously i train people out in the open but i'm i'm hesitant to put stuff up on the internet a i'm just not that generation and b i'm not comfortable doing it with the people i have you're in the right crowd style of
0: that generation uh, you, you had sent me something on text where it was you performing some basic micro dosing yeah it was small movements that looked again it was one of the one of the things i looked at and i said why didn't i think of this um I know we're not visual on there, but could you explain a little bit of that or maybe give an example of what uh, a youth coach out there or a college coach or somebody could do with five minutes of micro-dosing? What would you do to warm them up as, let's say, a baseball
3: player? um, Okay. Sorry. So uh, I want to say something first because everything – and it goes back to something Bill uh, mentioned about the watching a batter in the on-deck circle – um, the, the one almost – it's there's not many laws that are certain in this field, but one of the things you can say is the more specific it is, the more it will translate to your activity, and the less specific it is, the less it will translate. So keeping that in mind, everyone should view what they do um, for whatever sport it is with that phrase in mind. But to your point, uh, Dave, that was what I call it, the torso mobility – uh, routine or progression, and basically the point of it is in less than four minutes you could get the body to do all the things it needs to do uh, to prepare itself for activity. And you know I say there's seven things you need to do in in every in every workout or warm up, and it's squat, lunge, push, pull, uh, bend, rotate, and brace. and those movements that I sent to you, Dave, that's designed to get you to do all those things and pretty much cover almost every uh, uh, preparation eventuality in, in, a, in a very short period of time.
0: I love it. I actually do it as part of my mobility training in the morning for me. I'm 49, and we use it now as part of our, our warm-ups for baseball. So you impacted a small group already. And I, I feel so good right now, so I may be able to get that call. If goals if got any pull back there, I still think I could take a couple at bats. <laughs> um, in the minor, so I'm putting that out there for you.
2: Um, I'll let you know.
1: <laughs> think it no, that, too brings, that brings me to a question. Just And, again, that's what's so great about this, this show. It's going to be – and I hate the term, but we're going to be organic. I'm a meat eater. Right? I, eat, I eat tons of meat. I think it's really good for you. But we're going to have some organic uh, things here in the show that develop. And hearing Sal talk brings me to a, a question I have for Ball. Uh-huh. Both ends of the spectrum, because I want to keep it, I want to keep, we're going to keep it short this week, because, you know, we want you back next week, you know, because there's going to be a lot of information here. But I want to move with Bull, since we've done running, I want to move with Bull with the pitcher catcher. Okay. Like, what are two, give us some real quick tips on what you think a young pitcher can do to improve quickly, and maybe what a young catcher can do. And again, that's the wrong terminology. Nothing is quickly. Uh, this is all takes work so that's the first things uh, these athletes have to understand is that this this is, this is not a this, there's no uh, miracle way to get this done it's done through work but pitching wise and catching wise what, what are some of the uh, tips you would you would offer bull
2: well um, you know to me success starts with the with the catcher and the pitcher um, I love to see catchers that bring energy to the game. That are positive. That um, they're working hard. They're 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 building a relationship with their with the umpire because you're with them all day long. You 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 know your pitcher. You know your hitter. You're not afraid to go out and talk to your pitcher when he when he just needs a breather. If you, you, you're aware of his uh, of his mechanical. Uh, um, Flaws, so that you might see something that can help him. When you're totally engaged there, the whole game of success is built on pitching and defense. Really, um, you know, everybody who wins the World Series—it seems like every year—they they get hot, they pitch well, they play good defense, um, and 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 the, the the catcher has so much influence in that, and.
1: that's what happened last year with the Braves they got hot yeah you know and Travis Dino got really hot
2: yeah yeah Yeah. and you know and then you know the pitcher you know had that relationship you know I worked with catching coaches uh, who were very very good uh, and the one guy uh, was with us one place and he ended up Going to the Yankees and then to the Red Sox, and both of those teams ended up winning World Series, and their catchers became stars. Um, he would tell the catchers, "You know, you're going to block balls every day, and your best friend on this team is going to be the pitching coach because he's going to be able to he's going to be able to walk." You to, 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 to walk you through hitters uh, every day and walk you through that lineup so you're prepared to make your pitcher successful. Um, you know, they the, 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 the pitcher, the whoever's in the game and the catcher and the pitching coach should all be within earshot of each other between every inning. Um, that's, that's, that's,
1: that's, that is so true.
0: <laughs> I like that. I got a question for you, Paul, regarding young catchers. You know, catchers, kids see what they see on TV. And two things that I think may be overblown, and and if I'm wrong, tell me so. I see a lot of these guys going to the one knee, and and I I think that's a problem with blocking for young kids. And then I see a lot of these young kids trying to reach out and steal strikes. And two things that my my young one's a catcher, I try to impress upon him. Blocking gives the pitcher confidence that he can throw whatever he wants, that it's not going to be by you. And the, uh, the other adjective, not stealing strikes, catching it deep, the point of kids get caught up in framing. My point to, to Tanner is you're not going to turn balls into strikes, but please don't turn strikes into balls. Um, those are two concepts. Can you touch on that um, a little bit with messaging. Yeah, either rephrase you know, it or, you know.
2: No, those are great points, Dave. Um, you know, uh, the, 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 the one knee thing. I, you know, I get it. They want them to sit low. They want them to work from the ground up, and they want them to try to steal as many pitches as they can. Uh, I, you know, when I played and coached, and for about, you know, the last 35 years, um, umpires didn't take guys that were trying to steal balls and, and embarrassing them by holding the ball there. You know, <laughs> so like I, I – uh, like, I guess the umpires have become nicer that that, that they actually fall for that. And, uh, the, you know, the one knee thing, uh, uh, most of the catchers that I saw last year uh, were well below average blockers. And I would be able to, uh, and I think I shared this with Kevin, pick them out, pick them out facially in a lineup because they were running back to – Toward me as a scout with their mask off after every pass ball that they had. Um, yeah. So I, you, you know, and, and and you know what? If we go to an automated sh- strike zone, what's going to happen? You know, over the over the next couple of years, you know, all this all this poor catching and trying to steal strikes, you're not going to be able to steal them anyway, right?
1: That's true. And, and well, and, that, and that's, that, that's a huge point. So you almost, you, you, you're going to hurt yourself. So, so I think that confidence uh, for the pitcher is a great point. And I know Sal wants to weigh in here too, with a couple things on this. Uh, and I did, I did, I, I want to correct something I said earlier, or at least I know the player now it was Victor Reyes from the Tigers who had that, that, that tough quad injury and then, right. then hurt the other quad. So it, it, it's, you know, these, you know, and of course we're going to get Sal in on the obliques, but uh so what, what do you think with the, you know, we're talking pitchers, catchers and the activities they do. What, what do you, what do you think about uh, making these guys better?
3: Well, I want to touch on something bold said because he, he hit on something. I also, I caught, so I caught from sixth grade through high school. So I'm kind of familiar and I always watch and the one neat thing um, that bull brought up, there's a lot of things that are happening in different sports and for lack of a better term, I call it, it's stylized. It, it really has no basis in sound fundamental movement. Um, and I think you get that position because athletes can't stay in the traditional squat posture and be effective because they're overall weak. Um, and this isn't some back in my day, you know, slog through the snow to walk to school Generational uh, jealousy. It's it's a flat out fact that our overall level of conditioning and um, capability has gone down, and it's gone down precipitously with the youth. And I could tell you stories of of athletes, high level athletes, I come that come to me, and I do movement screens on, and they're abysmal. So there's a case, in my opinion, that one knee is is because of lack of strength overall, not getting too deep into it at this point, in the athlete. I see it in lacrosse. Um, there's ve- uh, There are very few sports where poor habits don't kind of creep in because of poor mobility. Uh, I'll give you one quick example. Back before uh, World War II, the sniper posture was a deep squat. You could. Uh, I had a, a colleague who did this great presentation about how we've lost or ability to move. And one of his slides featured this picture of a sniper from World War One who was sitting in this deep squat, basically butt to the ground, feet flat, square, with the rifle in a sight position. And o- and over yep. time, they had to move to a prone position because the inability of athlete or of soldiers to get into that position. So, you know, the, the athletic training or phys ed curriculum always took cues from what the military did back in the early 1900s. So uh, there's a, across the board, we could look at movement flaws in athletes and trace it back to, uh, uh, let, let's say, for lack of uh, going too deep into it, an overall weakness.
1: And the uh, I think that gets back to, and then if you, it's also bad too, Sal, I think, if you build up certain areas and they kind of create problems for other areas. And, and what I say that meaning the obliques, I mean, I remember Bip Roberts and again, I've covered for 40 some years, you know, I go back to the Yankees with Thurman Munson, and I'll tell that story someday. But uh, you know, Bip Roberts was the first guy I remembered who had an oblique pole. We never heard of that. It's like uh, Jack McKean told me many times, you know, guys never in his day and age, Never pulled oblique. So so what's going on with the oblique uh,
3: uh, injuries? Well, we've talked about – I talked about the specificity, and, Kevin, we've talked about it over the years. When You know, you send me videos, and I'll send you videos of these training sessions these guys are having, and they look like, you know, meathead gym rats squatting and deadlifting, and, and I've seen baseball players do rotational movements on the weight stack with the heavy – heavy 70, 80, 90 pounds where the rotation is there, but the speed of the rotation is nowhere near what they need for sport. So, you know, this specificity is not limited to the movement pattern. It also has to do with the speed of whether it's of the contraction or the speed of the movement. So, you know, you're training that rotational movement off of the weight stack very slowly, and then you're going out and you're swinging a 36, 34-ounce bat as fast as you can in incorporating your entire body. So at some point, the mixed signals you've been sending your body are, is going to result in the blowout. And the oblique is the is the stabilizer that gets hit when you know you are doing things that are inappropriate, in my opinion. that's It's like the lat in the pitcher. The lat is a stabilizing muscle. When that muscle starts to go, that means it's stabilizing more than it's supposed to be. Yeah. I think that, that breaks it down to layman's points. Yeah. And, and it's just in general, Kevin and, and, and bull, if, if you could say what, how would you fix some of this? I would, if I had the magic wand, I would take the entire organization out of the weight room. And as my mentor, a mentor of mine and colleague uh, coach Radcliffe at Oregon would say, they have to earn the right to get certain things back. And some things would, we'd never get back. Like, back squatting, deadlifting that would never occur in baseball. But everything else that those athletes do, they'd have to earn the right to do the next thing on the ladder.
2: You know, just uh, an observation, Uh, the more time (laughs) we've spent in weight rooms, uh, the more injuries we've had as an industry. Uh, Absolutely. You know, at at, at one time, uh, a baseball player was a wiry, athletic, strong, Guy, you know, they still had power. They still had uh, they had more speed at back back in those days. Um, but they stayed healthy. You know, they weren't all bound up and muscle bound. So I, I think there is. I will say
1: this. You know, there is something the players are stronger today, and and I think that does help to a degree. But I think like in anything else in life, they go overboard sometimes, and. And and I think there's there's got to be a, a, a finer line, and one of the I know before Dave asked the question, I have one one last question for Paul here, um, and, and I I want to bring it up. It's uh it's something uh you know it's it's basically something Charlie Lau said, the great hitting coach, way back when. He Charlie said uh, nobody should hit two hundred. That's what, and we saw about major league players. Nobody should hit two hundred. In other words, these guys are all talented enough should be able to hit over two hundred. And he also said anybody anybody should hit two fifty. Now the average batting average right now in the major leagues, I just looked it up, it's two thirty four this season. And we hear all kinds of excuses and we haven't you know, this will be a, a future topic where we don't have to go heavy into the launch angle, but uh that that, that could be something we could talk about. But why the, the simple question is why don't guys hit for average anymore, Bolt? Well, uh
2: I I think there's a lot of things. Um, the uh, I guess the good news it went up a point with uh, two thirty three last week. So yeah. you know they had a great week. Um, <laughs> I, you know I, I there's so many factors um, watching youth baseball where strikeouts stopped mattering. Stopped you know uh, um, you know like. I think we all grew up as kids being embarrassed to strike out. Uh, I would watch youth games when my son was playing. Guys would strike out five times and, they, you know, <laughs> it didn't bother them. So, and then we glorified power. So, um, you know, when you're trying to do one thing and one thing only, uh, and that's hit the ball out of the ballpark, You're going to strike out more. You're going to pull off of more balls. You're going to roll over more balls, and you're not going to be a good hitter. You know, I heard an older baseball person once tell another uh, teammate of mine, uh, hit the ball hard from gap to gap. See how many doubles you can hit. And if the good Lord made you big enough and strong enough, you'll have power. If not, you'll be a damn good hitter.
3: That's good advice. Great advice, yeah. So I think um, I think baseball wants to be football in some regard, and they can't accept the fact that a, a hitter or a pitcher could swing or throw at 75% and be effective, where football players can't do that. And, you know, that's what you also see in their preparation. Um, and I think that's another huge problem that we could spend weeks on. Yeah. I don't want to both you and Sal could probably – Touch
0: on and it kind of hits the other side of it with, with the pitching. We're talking about the, the need and the desire for power. I tend to think because it's monetarily reinforced, people are going to keep trying to do it until that changes. But looking at the pitchers now, um, and we'll start, start with Bold and Solomon Dirty Weigh in on. I was at a minor league game the other day, and I could tell when the bullpen was up because I kept hearing machine gun like thumping. We were sitting down there. And I had my sons look over, and they were throwing those weighted balls, which I outlawed from our house um, at full velocity. I mean they were they had their whole body torped into it. Talk about that bowl, you're seeing that enter the realm of pitching, and, and maybe Sal you can expound upon that with you know injury you, you've talked about the overuse of the lap. just I'll let bull start and then Sal, you, you jump in. Um,
2: yeah, I was actually going to ask Sal this I. I watch these kids and, you know, I, as, as I've always said, there's value in everything. A weighted ball might help to build some arm strength. So it's just going out and throwing like we did as kids or long, long toss, long toss, long toss. um, you yeah. know, I'm a huge proponent of long toss. Uh, but the, the scary thing is, is that nobody is supervising them. So mechanically. They are flying open. Their body, The front side of their body has separated from the back side of their body. Their hands are, are not in a power position, which is up when your foot lands. And they're throwing a ball that's weighted as hard as they can. And they are putting so much stress and strain, and Sal can probably attest to this, on their elbows and shoulders. And, you know, since the weighted ball has come in and since we – started restrictive pitch counts and since, <laughs> since we started taking starters out in the fourth and fifth inning in the my we have we, we have more tommy john surgeries and surgeries than we've ever had so yeah. i i i i don't get where the benefit is for all these things for pitchers um and 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 dave brought it up earlier monetarily you know the draft basically every year is the hardest thrower gets drafted first, and you yeah. just go right down the line, not the best pitcher, yeah. because yeah. you know it's it, it you know pitching and throwing hard are two different things. Yeah,
3: that's, that's, the, the that's weighted true. ball to me has a place. Uh, I, I I think it's that. Idea, you have to earn it, and I think there's so many things that kid at uh, kid young athletes do that they're not ready to do, but because they've seen a pro do it, they figure they can do it. Uh, I think that's part of it. Real quick, there's a um, a story that, about a guy named B- Bondarchuk who was a famous track coach from the old Soviet Union, and we could forget for a moment that everything they did was uh, performance enhancing, drug based, but he was a scientist and. In all of his work with all of his athletes and putting the numbers together and crunching the numbers, he came out with the greatest correlation between success in the shot put in the discus and training was the guy who could throw the device or the the implement that was slightly above the weight or slightly below the weight of the actual discus or shot. That whoever threw that one the furthest, through the competition one the furthest. So this is a long-winded way of me saying there's some value to those uh, weighted balls, but they, A, should be done under strict supervision on a progression and not with young kids, and, B, it, that ball should be slightly heavier or slightly lighter than the regulation baseball.
1: Well, yeah. Dave, Dave, before I talk to you end to wrap this up, because we've given – We've given the listeners a lot, and that—that's the whole point of this show. We've given them a lot to think about, and we don't want to. We don't want And I'm proud of myself for not mentioning the word nerd once in the whole show, because we know what that's all about. But we've given them so much to think about. I don't think. It, I, I don't think we want to. We don't want to. We don't want to give them any more this week, because that's that's enough. If they do some of the things that they learned here, and and uh, you you know, follow Sal too, you can follow Sal on Twitter and follow us and, and keep an eye on us and also, you know, throw in uh, questions that they might have. Uh, you're going you're to be, you're already going to be a better, better ball player and, and probably a better person too. So uh, I want to thank you guys uh, for my end. and I'll, I'll let Dave wrap it up, but uh, yeah. yeah, this is going to be a go-to place for people. This is, this is uh, the seat behind home plate. This is where you want to be because uh, this is the action. This is like being in the dugout and you're talking to, I was just trying to figure it out in my head, but Basically, between the four of us, is over 100 years of experience and real-life experience on all different levels. So uh, uh, to be quite honest, you're lucky to be able to hear this.
0: Yeah. That uh, was, it was a great segment, guys. Bull and South, phenomenal contribution. We look forward to having you every week. And, Kevin, yeah, as usual, it's, uh, it's an honor to be on with all, all you guys. If you hey, hey much- uh,
3: if you guys don't mind, could you, David and Bull, if you don't mind, can we uh, could uh, David send out your – uh, cell phone. So if I have an idea or question, we can text each other. Is that okay with you? Yeah, we'll do a yeah, we'll group great. text. I'll, I'll send out a group text for us after the show. And okay, um, if, if the audience
0: wants to contribute or ask questions of our guests, you can follow, You can find us at coachingkernan at protonmail.com. So coachingkernan at protonmail.com. We'll receive questions at the end of each segment. We'll, we'll uh, give our guests questions that are asked from our Our audience of listeners. Uh, Again, you can get us on Twitter at Coach and Kernan. The the tag is at David D'Agostin, D-A-G-O-S-T-I-N. They took the O off of it. And it's the number 16. You can interact with us directly there. And of course, you have Kevin on AMBS underscore Kernan. That's his Twitter handle. And please follow him on Ball 9. Tremendous two articles a week. I always tune in. And guys, as usual, I usually talk to you guys individually, but you always give me homework when I finish, so thanks for the homework on baseball. Uh, I absolutely love it, and I'm sure our audience did too.
2: Yeah, thank, thank everybody. It was uh, quite enjoyable.
0: Thank you. All right, and thank you, guys. We'll, we'll tune in next week. Yep. Great.
2: Take care.